As you are seated, if you want to read along, we'll be in Ezra chapter 6. Ezra chapter 6. So as we look at Ezra chapter 6, remember God is always telling a story. So if we can step back a little bit and look at some of those high points of chapters 1 through 5. First, remember the backdrop. The Jews were worshiping God wrongly. God brought the Babylonians to visit in Jerusalem. It wasn't a friendly visit. They destroyed the city, the temple, and the people were dispersed far and wide. After 70 years in exile, the Babylonians are conquered by the Persians. And the Persian king, Cyrus, King Cyrus, implements a new policy. Send the Jews back. Send the people back. Give them the money and let them rebuild the, te- uh, the temple in their city. Of the millions of Jews that lived in, Jer- in Judah, 50,000 return. And they erect an altar, they offer sacrifices, they start celebrating the various feasts. After about, after about six months since returning, they start rebuilding the temple. Local Persian authorities come knocking. These, are from, these were from Samaria. They visit the building site, see what's going on, feel threatened, write a poisonous letter to King Artaxerxes. This letter creates fear, and it convinces the king to shut it down. The work of the rebuilding of the temple lays dormant. Ten years, nothing happens, except the people are building the houses. In Ezra chapter 5, God sends the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. They rebuke and exhort the people to work. And they start working again on rebuilding the temple. The people respond, start rebuilding, and again, knock on the door. More Persian officials come to audit the situation. They question the Jews. They take names of the Jewish leaders, which the Jews willingly give. While more letters are exchanged with the Persian king, the Jews faithfully continue building. And this is where Ezra chapter 6 opens up. So, Darius has received the letters from his local authorities, and now we'll see what his response is. Should they continue or not? The drama is before us. Will the work be shut down again? Will the Jewish leaders who started this be put to jail as enemies of the state? These questions will be answered. So indeed, God is writing a story full of intrigue and suspense. From a human perspective, where are our eyes focusing this story? Well, truth be told, it's probably to the temple. Will it be rebuilt or won't it? Guess where God's looking. God, on the other hand, is more concerned with building the people. He is building the people. He's always been building the people, and he continues to build his people. He is teaching his people, us, to be obedient, no matter the challenges before us. To keep our eyes focused on him, he is teaching his people to trust him, to fear him. And you know what? This makes us courageous. Whatever comes our way, God's stories, of which we find ourselves playing a part, they're full twists and turns, always keeping us guessing. Today's sermon will pay specific attention to some of those twists and turns, and know this is exactly how God works. So before we take up the text, let's beseech our Lord in prayer. 
Gracious Lord, we are often dull to your stories. But give us eyes to see what you're doing. Often we find in ourselves in situations where we're without hope. May you be our hope. Help us to remember the great stories, this one included from Ezra 6, that in our weakness we may find strength. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here now, Ezra chapter 6. Then Darius issued a decree, and a search was made of the archives, where the treasures were stored in Babylon. And at Akmetha, in the palace that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found. And, it, and, it is, and in it a record was written thus. In the first year of King Cyrus, King Cyrus issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt. Let the place where they offered sacrifices. And let the foundation of it be firmly laid. Its height 60 cubits and its width 60 cubits. With three rows of heavy stones, one row of a new timber. Let the expenses be paid from the king's treasury. And let the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple, which is in Jerusalem, and brought to Babylon, be restored and taken back to the temple which is in Jerusalem, each to its place, deposit them in the house of God. Now, therefore, Tatanai, Tataniah, governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar Bozna, and your companions, the Persians, who are beyond the river, keep yourself far from them, far from there. Let the work of the house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house on God's site. Moreover, I issue a decree as to what shall, be, what shall you do for the elders of the Jews, for the building of this house of God. Let the cost be paid at the king's expense from taxes of the region beyond the river. This is to be given immediately to these men so that they, they are not hindered. And whatever they need, young bulls, rams, lambs, and the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, Wheat, salt, wine, oil, according to the request of the priests who are in Jer Jerusalem, let it be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer sacrifices, sweet aroma to the God of heaven, and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also, I issue a decree that whoever alters this edict, let the timber be pulled from his house and erected, and let, it be, let him be hanged on it. Let his house be made a refuse heap because of this. And may the God who causes his name to dwell there destroy any king or any people who put their hand to alter it or destroy this house of God which is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, issue the, a decree. Let it be done diligently. Then Tataniah, governor of the region beyond the river, Shethar Bozna. And their companions diligently did what, according to what the king Darius had sent. So the elders of the Jews built, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edu. And they built and it finished according to the commandment of God of Israel, according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now the temple was finished. On the third day of the month of Adar which is the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. 
Then the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the descendants of captivity celebrated. Celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. And they offered sacrifices at the dedication of this house. 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs. And as a sin offering for all 12 male goats. For all Israel, 12 male goats. According to the number of the tribes of Israel. They assigned the priests to their division and the Levites to their division over the service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. And all the descendants of captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month, as the priests and the Levites had purified themselves. All of them were ritually clean. And they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the descendants of captivity, for their brethren the priests, and for themselves. Then the children of Israel who had returned from captivity ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord made them joyful and turned the heart of the king toward them, the heart of the king of Assyria toward them, to strengthen their hand in the work of the house of the God of Israel." Thus ends the reading of God's word. Ezra chapter 6 opens with King Darius receiving a factual letter from the local authorities, Tataniah and Shethar Bozna, And he responds, The king has a search made for the archives to determine if the Jews are telling a faithful story. In verse 2, the edict written by Cyrus has been found, though it was written 15 years earlier. It is read before King Darius confirming what the Jews have been saying. Cyrus commanded the Jews to leave Babylon, return to Jerusalem with the booty Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple 70 years earlier. They are to rebuild the temple, even have access to the king's treasury. After finding and reading Cyrus's edict, Darius doubles down. In verse 6, he tells his local officials, stay away from them. Let them build. In verses 7, Darius says, leave them alone. Let them manage themselves, which includes this building project. Darius goes a step farther. In verse 8, he tells his local officials to pay their expenses. Don't waste time, but do this immediately. These local officials are also to give them whatever is needed so they can make sacrifices and pray for the king and his sons that God might be pleased. In case these local officials missed any part of the king's command, in verse 11, Darius warns them that if they are negligent in any way, he will have their houses destroyed and them killed. Darius' message has gotten through. In verse 13, gov the governor Tataniah and his assistant Shethar Bozna diligently did all that the king commanded. In verse 14, we are reminded that the heart of these kings the Lord has had in his hand, and he has guided them. The people of God obeyed the preaching of the prophets of Haggai and Zechariah, and the work of the temple has prospered. In verse 15, we find that the building of the temple is finished. As a footnote, from the time it restarted, it took another five years to finish the temple. 
Approximately two decades after returning to, from exile, the temple is finally finished and it's dedicated. In verse 16, we see that the people are filled with great joy. In verse 17, we find the temple worship is restored and various offerings are made. Not only is the temple, the structure in good order, but the priests have themselves in good order, as described by Moses. In verse 19, the following and following, the Passover is kept. The priests have purified themselves, and they're showing the Jews how to be a holy priesthood. They worship God, they eat, they rejoice, for the Lord has made them joyful. So, in verse 22, catch this interesting note. Last verse of the chapter. It says that God made them joyful as he's turned the heart of the king of Assyria. Assyria? We're talking about Babylonian kings. We're talking about Persian kings. Assyria? So, the Assyrian Empire was 200 years earlier. Remember, it was the Assyrians whose capital city was Nineveh. They conquered the northern kingdom, the northern ten tribes. These Assyrians then were conquered by, remember the history? By the Babylonians. And now the Babylonians have been conquered by the Persians. In the middle of these events associated with the Persian king restoring the temple, God says that he's been controlling the heart of a king of Assyria. Many commentators think this is a typo. I strongly disagree. I strongly disagree there's a typo in the Bible. He started with the Assyrians, and then God has the heart of the Babylonians in his hand. In fact, it was the Assyrians and the Babylonians that were a spanking stick. Now he's using the king, the Persian king, Cyrus, Artaxerxes, and now Darius, to do his will, to complete this story. As we speak of this multifaceted story, I want you to see how God regularly uses irony. Irony. And understand why he uses irony. So, let me first start with a definition. Irony is a set of events that seem contrary and even amusing to what we expect. Let me give an example. There's a wicked man. He's digging a ditch. So his neighbor will fall into it so that he can rob his neighbor. After he's done digging the ditch, guess who falls into it? The man. The man falls into it who is digging it. So good stories have all manner of twists and turns, and they keep us guessing. We are interested to see where this is all going. Now I want you to consider some of the ironies from this text that God has written into the story of Ezra. First, start with this one, verse 11. It involves a house. Now think about your own house, the own structure. So we build houses, why? We build houses to protect us from the heat of summer, from the cold blasts of winter, from the soaking rains of spring. And as such, what do these houses do? They promote life. What does King Darius say to these local officials, his local Persian officials? He says that if you disobey my command, that he will destroy their house. He'll pull out a beam. He'll erect it high up. And he'll use that beam 
to kill them. The irony is that the house, which is for protection, is going to become an instrument of death. More of the ironies are found as we compare the events of chapters 5 and before, and now the events of chapter 6. Chapter 6 is a crescendo, a glorious crescendo. In earlier chapters, the future looked grim. The Jews were outnumbered, they were outgunned, everything was outside of their control, everything was working against them. In reality, everything was in God's control. And he turned dark days into a new, shiny reality. But note that it was over the period of two decades. So let me try to outline some of these uh, ironies in the various categories. First, think about all of those in this world that try to define the future. They want the future to come out the way they want it to. So to the, the Samaritan authorities, Rahum and Tataniah, right, surely saw themselves as legitimate governing authorities over these Jews. Rahum wrote this nasty letter to the king and was successful to shut them down. He didn't want them building this house, but only temporarily. These rulers seemed all-powerful and created a certain sense of awe and fear. Here come the Persian authorities. Well, in verse 6 of this chapter, King Darius pronounces that the Jews are to be self-governing. He tells his new Persian authorities, leave them alone, stay away. Note that Rahum and Tataniah are nowhere to be found. As God writes this story, he takes out the arrogant, the proud, and places the humble in places of authority. Remember this irony. You'll hear it again. The meek shall inherit the earth and control thereof. Next, look at the money. Follow the money, as they say. In this false narrative, Rahum told the king that if the Jews were to build, the king's power and ultimately his treasury would diminish. Now look at verse 8 of this chapter 6. And consider how com the complete opposite is coming about. Darius tells these local authorities, you pay for them, for this work of this, this temple, out of your budget. But you have no authority on how to direct them. Pay, give them the money, but no strings attached. Give them money. No decision making. So this is not the first time, nor will it be the last time, where kings come, Gentile kings come, and bring their treasures. Remember those three kings who came from the east? to the infant baby Jesus and brought their treasures. So we wait upon God knowing he will provide in interesting ways. Consider the use of military force. Rahab used military force, the might of military force, to threaten the Jews, to make them stop building. Imagine all the soldiers showing up and saying, stop! Well, ten years later. Ten years later, Darius says he will use military force. For anybody who impedes the building of God's house. If you impede the building of God's house, I'm tearing your house down. God regularly tells stories with this grand irony. And this we often use or call poetic justice. Even his judgments, even God's judgments are glorious indeed. How about the timing? 
the timing of these events. Rahab wrote a report creating fear in the king, and the Jews were stymied for 10 years. Remember, they were, they were building their house, but they didn't prosper. They planted, but they were still hungry. Do you see this irony too? Now, God sends his prophets, Zerubbabel and Haggai, and then the work restarts. The temple is not, remember how quick it was completed? Not 10 years, five years. The people are diligent and God prospers them. As God writes the story, he's always writing the story, he can easily recover those years that have been stolen by devastation of others. Consider the response of the Jewish people during different times. In earlier chapters, the building project had been shut down. In chapter 5, it is restarted, but the Persian authorities are back in force. They're taking names, and one can only imagine the anxiety and the fear of the Jews in Jerusalem. They put aside those fears, though, and they kept building. Now in this chapter, their fears and concerns are changed, are replaced with jubilant joys. As God is always writing the story, we have, we have reason to rejoice regarding, regardless of what is before our eyes. Let me say it again. God is always writing a story, and we always have reason to rejoice regardless of what we see before our eyes. Sometimes we only need to wait upon him for his timing, because his timing is not our timing. So as chapter 6 closes, consider what they're doing. They're celebrating Passover, another situation full of ironies. At the Passover, it was the Israelites who were slaves for hundreds of years. And now what are they at the Passover? They're free. It was the Egyptians who were the superpower of the day, but at the end of the at the end of this or at the beginning of Passover, they don't look so super anymore. After experiencing all those plagues, while the Egyptians are mourning the death of their firstborn son, what are the Israelites doing? They're rejoicing. They're celebrating, they're feasting. I would hazard to say that each page of Scripture, or at, least, or at least each story in Scripture, is full of irony. Consider the irony associated with Jesus and his ministry. He, who is the King of kings, very God, was not born in a palace. Where was he born? He was born in a stable, something akin to a chicken house, right? There he was laid in a feed trough, the barnyard of animals. He was a simple carpenter's son. Though he came to serve the Jews, they rejected him. But he was readily accepted by who? The Samaritans. The Samaritans and other Gentiles. Consider those who became the pillar of this kingdom. Prostitutes, mothers, fishermen, tax collectors. By the world's standard, these were not seen as strong and the powerful of the day. Yet this is how God showed forth his strength. God is always telling ironic stories. Stories with twists and turns that nobody could ever have predicted. Of which we thought were not possible. Let me tell another story. Remember that the people were stirred as Haggai and Zechariah came to Jerusalem and they told a story. 
Well, briefly consider Zechariah's story through the book. I'm going to be going marching through the book of Zechariah, 14 chapters, and as quick as I can do it. In Zechariah 1, verse 2, we learn that the Lord was angry with the Jewish fathers. And he was angry with them for the next 70 years. He would discipline them. And he told them, don't be like your father. And I want to say easier said than done. God sent his servant, Nebuchadnezzar. God sent his servant, Nebuchadnezzar. I said it twice, right? The foreign king. To destroy his house. Now he sends other servants. Who are those other servants of God Almighty? Well, it's Cyrus, it's Artaxerxes, and it's Darius. And he sends them to rebuild his house. Though Jerusalem doesn't have walls, the people of God are to inhabit this city with their livestock, and God will be a wall of fire around the city. That's what Zechariah 2 verse 11 tells us. God will remove the iniquity from the land, he says. In 3 verse 9, in one day, I will remove the iniquity in one day. God says that his high priest, named Joshua, remember the variant of this name is Jeshua, and he will, he will make him a high priest, he will make him an elaborate crown, and this priest shall be king. That's... Uh, Chapter 6, verse 12. Many strong nations, instead of persecuting the people of God, as they had done in the past, shall seek the Lord. Eight, chap, chapter 8, verse 22. This Jeshua, the priest king, shall present himself riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal. This one riding on the small horse is going to do What? Hear the irony. He's going to cut off chariot. He's going to break the enemy's bow. He's going to bring peace such that his kingdom shall extend from where? From this river, this river that we've been talking about in Ezra, this Euphrates River, to the ends of the earth. That's chapter 9, verse 10. This takes us to Palm Sunday, doesn't it? So this is the one who is to be the priestly king. And it says to this priestly king, in chapter 12, verse 10, he will be pierced, and they will mourn him as a firstborn son. It says the city of Jerusalem shall be surrounded. Listen to this. It'll be surrounded, houses will be rifled, and women ravished. Not a good story so far, right? The Jews will rebuild this city and temple, and it will be destroyed again. Lord, surely this is not your story. But it is. As this was fulfilled 500 years after Zechariah wrote in 70 AD. After Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, Zechariah proclaims, The Lord shall be king over all the earth. This is how the book ends, 14, verse 9. Zechariah tells the story of a priest who is strong, who, proclaim, who becomes king, who rides a pony and vanquishes his enemies in all of God's stories. Irony after irony, and they take years to unfold. A little application.
What about you? What about you? Does your, your story, do you accept and even rejoice in the irony of your life? Regarding your story, do you acknowledge that God is the author? Or are you trying to fiercely dictate your story? Are you the writer of your story? Trust him. Know that he writes good stories. He writes stories always better than what we can imagine. Can you release the grip of the pen and let him write the story? As you let him write the story, you'll soon realize that your story is a part of a larger story. Guess what? You're not the star. We want to be the star. We want to be the star of the story. When we think we are the star of the story, we're showing ourselves to be narcissistic. Self-lovers. As self-lovers, we draw attention to ourselves, either by announcing our successes or publicly wallowing like a pig in our great troubles. As God tells the story, we will find ourselves in challenging situations. We will clearly understand our weaknesses, our finiteness. As you realize your weakness, your challenges, what will you do? What will you do? What did the Jews do? Will you blame others? Those darn Persians. Will you deny the reality of the situation? Will you just whine? Will you complain and seek to be the princess of pity? Look back on the stories that look back on the stories from God's word. Remember the ironies. Those who are weak, he will make strong. The humble he will raise up to places of prominence. Those who are meek shall inherit the earth. What challenges are before you? Will you revert to grumbling and complaining? If you grumble and complain, you are saying that God's arm is too short and that he is not able to write a glorious story in your life. You are saying, I don't like your story. Remember how the Jews faced these difficult situations. Rahim told lies about them. He got the king to shut down their building project for 10 years. When they started to rebuild, Tataniah came and demanded their names. Give me your names. So, hard times will come. Hard times will come. Can you step back with imagination as you face those difficult times? Can you say, God, what story are you telling? Help me to joyfully take up my part. To do what is right, even from a human perspective, there's no hope. There's no hope. Yet, in you, I will hope. Will you let God write your story? Will you take up your part and play it well? Remember that it is not you who orchestrates all these events, but it is God. Consider now how the chapter ends. The temple was completed in record time. The king paid for the bill. It's dedicated. The people are celebrating the Passover, and they are all filled with joy. From Zechariah's prophecy, we learn that God has more to tell to this story. That their priest 
king would be pierced. And this would result in their iniquity being taken away in just one day. This ruler would ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and though he would be crucified, he would subdue his enemies. The temple would be destroyed 500 years later, as we saw, and God's people would be scattered. Even in this scattering, what happened? Even in the scattering, what happened? The kingdom of God advances to fill the whole world. Congregation of God, remember that with each ominous cloud that darkens your day, God is seeking to shower blessings. Shower you with blessings. This is how he writes story. This is how he writes our story. Will you trust him? Let's pray. Oh Lord, teach us to love good story. Help us to rejoice in the good story where we find ourselves. Make us, a faith, make us faithful to play our part that we may seek your glory and not our own. Father, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.